Good evening, Sanwanani Dumelang, and welcome to episode 118 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantunga Kumalo. It's the Wednesday edition of the Private Property Podcast. And as usual, we are, of course, speaking to somebody from APSA Home Loans. I'm sure you're probably wondering what we're talking about. But before we even get to what we're talking about this evening, I think one of the things that we've certainly been talking about here on the Private Property Podcast and even across our various social media platforms, whether you follow us on Twitter, uh, you've liked our page on Facebook, or certainly are subscribed to our YouTube uh, channel is, of course, the Virtual Property Show. And that's something that we're quite excited to bring to your screens. And that is, of course, the first ever Virtual Property Show. You know that we're going to have it, you know, across Joburg, Cape Town and Durban. But COVID hit our shores and we had to find different ways to still bring you quality content with the right experts to help us navigate our property journey, regardless of whether you're a tenant, you're an investor, or perhaps looking to buy your first home. It certainly doesn't matter where you are in your property journey. The Virtual Property Show is one that you do not want to miss. And if you still haven't signed up for it, do go to privateproperty.co.za. Make sure that you sign up and join us this Friday and Saturday. It's going to be quite an incredible program. I'm pretty excited. I know the team that's put it together is also quite excited. Uh, I'll also be there uh, during, you know, both Fridays and uh, on the Friday and the Saturday. So I do look forward to you know, seeing some familiar faces. And if you're going to be joining us, if you've already signed up, do let us know down here in the comment below, uh, in the comment section below. I want to hear from you. What are some of the talks that you're, you know, interested in, uh, you know, viewing and some of the guests that you're looking forward to participating um, and really interacting with during our program. So that's only something that you can look forward to this Friday and Saturday. We're always bringing you quality content here at Private Property. And another thing that you can certainly look forward to when it comes to quality content is, of course, the first time home buyers show, which is now on Wednesday evening. So just after uh, this podcast, we're going to be having uh, Esther Klassen, who's going to be joining you and, of course, taking over the reins. And that's a topic you do not want to miss. She's going to be speaking to Unam Kleber Masuku, who is a property investor. And they'll be looking at how she went from buying one uh, property, so her first home, to look to having you know 40 student accommodation units, which is of course quite a huge feat. I'm sure a lot of you probably want to know how did she scale her property portfolio. What are some of the strategies she used? And what are some of the tips that she picked up from buying that first unit that she then used in buying more and more units? So do make sure that you stay tuned. So just after the Private Property Podcast, do stay tuned to Esther Klaassen, who will be uh, taking you through the first time home buyers show. But before we get there, we are, of course, uh, you know, talking about property this evening. And one of the things, as I said, it's Wednesday, so we always have somebody from AFSA Home Loans. And this evening, we're looking at you know payment relief and what it means for you as the customer i think one of the really big things is when lockdown um was sort of at our door you know various financial institutions found different ways to offer some kind of relief to customers and oftentimes uh with a lot of those service providers you know the period was for three months we're now six months 
uh, after the fact. And of course, a lot of people still found themselves in very difficult financial times. So we're going to be having a conversation with APSA Home Loans to see what kind of interventions you know, they've put in place to make sure that their customers are still looked after and are able to weather this economic storm. Because I think one of the very unfortunate things is even though the restrictions have eased up over the past few months, unfortunately, the economic effects of the COVID-19 crisis is still being felt by so many of us at home. And to help us better understand, I think this is the man who would understand what risk is and how to mitigate that kind of risk and really weigh out various options, even when it comes to things like uh, you know, COVID-19, which of course we couldn't have anticipated. I'm joined this evening by somebody who we've had right here on the Private Property Podcast, and that is Eovald Kellerman, who is the Chief Risk Officer at APSA Home Loans. Good evening, Eovald. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Zama. Thank you so much for having me again. It's only a pleasure. Um, you know, so Eva, I think one of the big things is you, we've heard quite a number of financial institutions, sometimes even various you know, types of companies talk about payment holidays. I think that was the very big buzzword uh, at the beginning of, of lockdown and various people were sort of dissecting it. And, and of course, with APSA, they've used you know, the term that says payment relief. Perhaps take us through APSA's approach when it comes to this one, because you know, a lot of people have you know, thought maybe it is actually a holiday. Um, you know, what does it mean if it's actually relief? And how do they best kind of look um, at how that essentially affects them. Mm, no, thank you, Zama. I think, um, you know, if, you, if, if I can remind you of where we were um, before lockdown, you know, in the last six months, we've gotten used to, um, I guess, the conditions and the new normal. So it's not, not really a new normal anymore. But when we started COVID um, and we started the lockdown, um, we really put our heads together to say, you know, what do, what do our customers need um, and, and how can we, um, how can we assist customers through this difficult time? Um, you know, we got together as a banking industry at the time um, through the Banking Association, and we spoke about how we can offer some solutions. Because in a lockdown situation, um, you know, I work for the bank. You know, I'm very fortunate that I earn a salary. Um, but many of our customers um, need to go out and earn their money by doing activities and running their businesses. Um, and, um, and, and, and we started quite early on and we said, you know, what type of relief can we give them? Um, and not to design a product or not to get any fame or fortune ourselves, but rather to see, you know, how can we, how can we participate in helping the country up and running, uh, get up and running? We, we, we couldn't afford much in terms of discounts. So, um, so I think, you know, that was, um, the, the, the bank is quite restricted in terms of what we can offer um, we've got depositors that, got the, that, that has their money with us and we can't take their interest and give it away. Um, so um, we, we took the same approach as many of the other banks, um, but we were very, very explicit about how a customer should use it. Our payment holiday, um, I think, is a wrong term to use because that implies that there's some level of discount or some level of um, softening circumstances. Um, and that is not really the case because interest still get charged to the loan. Um, so payment relief, um, we'd settled on that name and we explained it to say that if you can still repay your, your, um, your, your credit account, you should try to do so um, because it is in your best interest if you can still afford that repayment. If you can't, um, because of various number of reasons, either you've lost your income or you've got unexpected expenses, um, or um, you're even just you know, concerned that you might lose your job and, and you need some, some money to hold on to. Um, you know, we've offered that solution very, very broadly. But we, again, we were very specific to say, you know, if interest gets charged, 
still in your best interest to pay the loan. Um, if you can pay the loan, that's 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 better for you. Um, but don't expect to get some sort of discount if you if you can't pay and you ask for for payment relief. Um, and, and I know that's a very small nuance, but I think when we get to sort of how it expires and what type of position we leave our customers in, it starts making quite a big difference to to the financial well-being of our customers. Mm. And I think, you know, it's actually such an important distinction to be able to make here about, because as you say, uh, you know, as much as once you sit down and kind of explain it to, to people, you could have easily stayed with the, with the term sort of payment holiday, but it, words matter and words have, you know, a power about them. And in the event where your financial institution is saying you've got a payment holiday, you might probably think, you know, that interest probably isn't being capitalized or you now have that free three-month window period where, uh, you know, there, aren't, there isn't a ripple effect to your non-payment. So I think even mm-hmm. being able to understand what it means in the event where you do, off, um, you know, opt for the payment relief uh, because of your financial situation, which I, I know we're all very understanding of because of where we're finding ourselves, not just in South Africa, but really globally. So it is quite an important you know, distinction, I think, as customers for us to be able to also understand when we have conversations with our financial institutions, um, especially when it comes to you know finances and the consequences of paying or non-payment, and being able to be proactive in even having that conversation, because I think oftentimes customers, you know, Evald, are whether disempowered or they don't know that if they're now struggling to make payments, you simply need to, you know, be proactive and having a conversation instead of waiting for your debit orders to bounce and your credit score being negatively affected. Um, And of course, that just has a huge ripple effect on other things the moment it happens. So it's just so crucial Mm -hmm. to be able to have the conversation with the financial institution. I think in the event where you you have for app, where you're a customer with apps, I know, especially with the home loans department, they've been very proactive sending you know sms's asking if you wanted to opt in or opt out of you know that payment relief and and so you didn't they kind of tried to ease um the process as much as possible so you didn't have to for example go into a branch and have to apply um you know to get the payment relief so it really has been a way to ease the burden that consumers um are faced with right now and and to make that part of you know the stress and the financial anxiety that we find ourselves um, as bearable as possible. But Evald, I think one of the big things that are quite unfortunate and unfortunate that we've you know heard in the news uh, in South Africa, we saw SSA releasing you know the unemployment figures for quarter two, and and they're really shocking. I mean, when you go through it and you realize the 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 level of um, unemployment in South Africa, whether you use the you know expanded definition uh, or perhaps a slightly more narrow definition, we know that for example, you know, two point two million jobs. Um, have been shared in in quarter two, which is, of course, very shocking uh, because those are so many families. Perhaps, you know, take us through, and and I think one of the big things with that is you then begin to understand how many people are essentially in financial distress because those numbers should keep all of us awake at night, I think, if anything, because it means that, you know, so many families are essentially 
you know, affected. Perhaps take us through what the potential next steps for people who find themselves in that situation would be, especially for, you know, absence perspective, because it may be that, for example, a, uh, you know, somebody at home, let's say they did decide to take a payment relief, and obviously initially it was for that three-month period, um, and now they're finding that they've essentially subsequently lost their job, whereas perhaps before they're just trying to be a bit prudent and see how they can, you know, patch here and make sure that they're as financially stable as possible. And now they find themselves being one of the 2.2 million South Africans who effectively, you know, are affected. Perhaps take us through, you know, what APSA's approach is when it comes to dealing with people who, who now find themselves in that situation. Mm, mm. Uh, thank you. I think that's a, that's a quite a broad question and I'm going to take the opportunity to give a, give a, give a broad answer. Um, I think um, if, I, if I can start just to take us one step back. Um, when we started payment relief, we, we, we did two things. We firstly called it payment relief, um, but also tried to make sure that our intention behind that works um, the way that, um, that, that, that we planned it. So, um, so what I mean by, by the intention behind it is we try to make it as simple as possible um, because customers were finding themselves in a certain level of distress and needed to get to an answer quickly. Um, we tried to make it as comprehensive as possible. So not just customers who could prove that they lost their jobs, but also customers who couldn't run their businesses, customers who had unexpected expenses. If your spouse lost their job, you know, how do you prove that to the bank? You know, so asking for proof of loss of income, like, like, like many of the banks did, I think um, they missed quite a lot. So, so we try to be as simple as possible, as comprehensive as possible, and as inclusive as possible. Um, and that resulted in us doing the most amount of payment relief accounts of all the banks in South Africa. We, we had 735,000 um, customers that applied for, for payment relief. Um, so that, that, I think, shows you some of the level of financial distress that we've seen. Um, so, so we know that there was a, there was a very big need, um, and, and we knew we had to respond. But you know we couldn't respond in the traditional way. A lot of a lot of the things that we've learned in the last um, couple of months um, completely changed the way that we look at banking and we look at credit. Um, I mean, if you take the employment numbers, unemployment numbers that you mentioned, um, the unemployment figure um, last month was thirty, just over thirty percent. The new number is twenty-three and a half. Um, and it's because of a technical reason, because in lockdown, many um, consumers couldn't look for jobs. So um, it only takes active, uh, the ones actively seeking for jobs. But we know that the situation has worsened. So how does a number then drop? Um, our sort of economic models also said that if you've got low interest rates and low inflation, then it must be a great time for South Africa. You know, we've got, um, that, that, that's, a, that's a great solution. But, but that's not, not what happened because with low interest rates and low inflation, we see a lot of distress coming through. So a lot of the normal things that we viewed um, and the normal ways that we considered banking broke. Um, we also, I think in the past, was very specific around if a customer can't afford a loan, Usually, it's because that customer got himself into financial trouble um, in some sort of way. And we would say that that customer is high risk. Um, um, but, but in this case, we found customers who were great customers and who ran brilliant businesses finding themselves in the wrong industry, um, being a hotel industry or um, a tourism industry. And they might have been very successful um, in, in the, the place of business. You know, and you can't anticipate this, but when COVID hit, um, the entire sector closed down 
and it's not necessarily because of their fault. So, so you know, we also looked at risk and the customers who needed payment relief wasn't high-risk customers. It was customers who had um, who had successful businesses and you know, had, had a lot of success before and who were actually very good at managing their financial affairs in general. So, so risk wasn't a determinant in, in us helping to decide whether a customer qualifies for payment relief or not. And I think that's a big thing in our minds that broke, um, uh, you know, because that, that, that conditions didn't hold. Um, we then sort of changed the way that we collect. Um, and, and usually the way that we collect is we start phoning and we ask, you know, please, can we, um, you know, you've missed your payment. Can we make some sort of arrangement? And, um, and, and it's quite deliberate, um, you know, and, and, and we, um, we let you know of your, your obligations under the loan agreement. But, but we've, um, we, we've, we've managed to make that a lot softer because we realized that a lot of these situations that customers find themselves in is not due to their own making. It is something outside of the, and our control. Um, and I think in doing that, we've created better relationships with our customers. Um, now, now, I mean, you mentioned 2.2 million jobs that's been lost. So, so there is a, a lot of um, uh, uh, remaining um, financial distress in the in the market, and and I think the only way for us to properly deal with that and to and and you know if you sort of build on that the lessons that we've learned that you know a lot of these customers are good customers, then what you want to do is you really as a bank want to see how you can help and how you can 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 create a better situation for them. If we can create a better situation for our customers. Those customers will recover. They will stand up again and start up businesses that are successful. And we will, again, have a great relationship. Um, if we're there in their time of need, which we can be because of the way that the bank is structured, um, you know, there's, a, there's a very, very bright future for all of us together. Now, now the new version of payment relief was structured along those lines. Um, and we kept, um, we kept the comprehensive and inclusive parts. So we want to be as, as open as possible to having these discussions. But instead of a simple approach, the simple approach wouldn't, wouldn't really solve for the current situation we find ourselves in. Um, we've gotten very specific about finding solutions that's tailored to the right customer at the right time. Um, if you've lost your income through a state agent and um, you haven't earned commission for a while and the deeds office haven't registered fast enough, um, you probably just need a bit more liquidity relief and then you'll start earning some good money again. Um, but if, if your wife or husband has lost their jobs, um, you don't need another payment relief or another payment break because what happens after that three months? Um, you're going to be stuck in a situation. You're going to be back to square one. So, so for those customers, we want to find a lot more sustainable type of solution. And I think, um, I think you know, from the customers that we've spoken to, we've realized that you know, um, our sort of broad brush solutions don't always fit individual circumstances. And very often we have to have a deep conversation with a customer to see how we can, how we can help each other. And that's why we called it Sia Cezana, um, our new mechanism in which we help customers and help each other create a better, better community. Um, and so far, the take-up has been great and the customer feedback. Um, I mean, the stories that we hear from customers, brilliant customers who found themselves in the wrong sector at the right time is, is heartbreaking. Um, mm. and, and as a bank, I think we've, we've learned to respect that more than ever. So, so for us, it's been, it's been quite, a, quite an enlightening experience in playing a, a role potentially slightly bigger than just being a, a financial institution. 
mm-hmm. um, helping helping people to give some hope and and show them that there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's such an important, you know, thing to note about that a bank would, you know, take that role to understand that when you're servicing customers, you're more than just a bank and your ability to um, certainly as the way uh, you phrase it, even as the bank to help people, uh, you know, if and and I like the fact that you're even using that as 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 the word that, you know, captures what you're certainly willing to be doing during this period because it's understanding that these are customers that you've walked a path with for um, quite a number of years and as you say many of them have been very good customers it just so happens that we're now finding ourselves in a very difficult uh, situation whether it's because you're in the wrong industry or whatever your set of circumstance is but your income is now affected and it doesn't mean that you know life has to essentially stop and the nature of your finances has to be so negatively affected that your credit score is affected and all sorts of things um, essentially happen. So it's so important to be able to take a, a long-term and very individualistic approach to customers. And I think it's something that the market has been yearning for because we often you know, critique financial institutions about how they typically view us as customers from a very broad perspective. Um, it's usually once you start you know, working with your banker um, that you're able to get that sort of slightly more tailored um, you know treatment but the reality is people who may not necessarily be private banking clients also need it because their set of circumstances isn't all the same so i think the mm. the ability for absa to spot that particularly right now during that crisis during this crisis is certainly something that is commendable we're going to go for a quick break and when we come back we'll also be looking at you know how this has essentially affected uh, you know the the industry as a whole i think one of the really fascinating thing is it's always great speaking to people who are in financial institutions and to gauge what the uh, you know customer uh, perception or reception has been when it comes to their home loans because they are on the other end right i mean i think as customers we can get excited about low interest rates but of course the banks are seeing our applications the banks are the ones who are approving our applications so just getting a sense of where um, you know the industry currently is uh, and as far as property especially right now with so many months into lockdown i don't think any of us anticipated that we would certainly be living like this for such an extended period of time and the ripple effect that uh, you know this crisis was going to have in essentially every area of our life we certainly want to hear from you if you're joining us of course for the virtual property show we will also be covering some of these issues i think one of the very big things that we take for granted is how whether you're a first-time home buyer certainly a seasoned property investor understanding various economic factors that are essentially going to affect your property portfolio or the property that you're about to buy is so crucial and that's something that i know that I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure a lot of you at home are also looking forward to. So do let us know down there below if you're going to be joining us for the virtual property show that, of course, we are hosting as a private property. It is happening on Friday and Saturday. I want to see a lot of the familiar faces that we only see right here on the private property podcast. We're going to go for a quick break, and we'll be back just after this.
Welcome back to the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. We are, of course, um, having APSA Home Loans this evening. It is the Wednesday edition of the show, and as usual, we do have APSA in, uh, well, certainly not a studio, but on your screen. I see uh, Howard Mogadana saying APSA has been very significant in their quest to take over the property investment portfolio. We appreciate all these, um, all of these APSA Heart Africa. Thank you very much there, Howard. Um, APSA getting some love. We're also getting love on our Facebook, um, not only on our Facebook page, but also on our Instagram page. I see that uh, we've got Lazarus Siofela who is watching us and Germano saying this, who's saying that this is a very important topic. Uh, and of course it is important because so many of us are probably finding ourselves in very difficult situations financially because of this COVID-19 crisis. Evald, I mean, I think perhaps take us through just, you know, briefly around, you know, the state of the real estate sector during this lockdown. I don't think any of us anticipated that it would last this long, but of course we are here and it isn't the end just yet. I think we're still going to feel the economic effects of this lockdown, um, even in months to come. I think, you know, there've been some analysts who've said, you're probably going to be looking at, you know, next, next year, February, to get the full economic effect as a consumer, especially if you had lost your job, because perhaps you may have had some savings, perhaps you may have had a few policies that you can either cash in or that we're paying out, but come next year, February, perhaps some of that may have run out. So that's when we sort of slowly start feeling the full economic effects uh, from a consumer level. So what has then been the effects of this you know, crisis on the real estate sector? Mm, yeah. So, so if, I, um, if, if you sort of look at what happened in the last couple of months, um, uh, I think pre-lockdown, um, our economy was in an in, in a okay state, if I can call it an okay state. It wasn't doing particularly well, but not doing particularly bad either. Um, we know that during lockdown, we've lost a lot of economic activity. So a lot of businesses closed. Um, a, a lot of um, jobs weren't being completed because we just couldn't um, under the circumstances. Um, so we expect that after the lockdown and the effects of COVID that economic activity would suffer. So we were coming from a certain sort of midpoint and we expect that to drop a bit. Um, so after this, we expect to be in a slightly worse position. Now I know South Africans are very resourceful. So you know, I think we've got a lot of um, um, a lot of great young entrepreneurs which are up to pick up the, the economy quite quickly. Um, but we haven't seen that in the residential market. And, um, you know, when we started, um, when we were still in lockdown, um, I'll, I'll remind you that China came out of their lockdown. And the first thing that happened in China was that there was a, a, a property boom um, because a lot of the customers there and the consumers um, we're used to staying in small lock-up-and-go type of environments. And lockdown has changed their minds about buying property or owning property completely. So they wanted to leave and they wanted larger places. Um, when the UK came out of their first lockdown, you saw the same thing. A mini property boom where people wanted to buy properties with gardens. Um, now in South Africa, luckily, we are a little bit more placed with space. Um, but there has been a very big trend in, South, in the South African market to move to smaller, denser places closer to work. And maybe that's not that attractive anymore, especially since there's a remote working culture that actually works quite well. So it is possible to stay a bit further away from, um, from the office. So, so I think we're changing our habits quite a lot. Also, you know, if you do stay on a farm with a decent internet connection, you're probably not going to use your car as much. So your entire expense structure changes and you can spend more money on property. Um, 
So, so there's a lot of those types of changes which we haven't really figured out, and we're seeing the market come up with that. Um, but in, in the South African economy, at least, we've had we've had a lot of interest rate reductions, and the Reserve Bank has been very good at managing our policy. That provided a significant amount of relief. So, so as I've explained, we started at a midpoint and we went down a bit. In the residential property market, we've actually also seen a very, very big increase in the number of applications, in inquiries for properties, in activity in the market. Now, um, that is positive. So I don't want to take away from how positive that is for the market. Um, but I also want to caution that, you know, that is driven by the interest rate reduction. And, and I think that after we get used to the interest rate reduction, we might find ourselves at a low spot again. Um, so, so the interest rate reduction, what it does at the moment is it allows a lot of first-time buyers to buy properties. It allows a lot of tenants to afford properties, which is often a bit cheaper than, um, than, than the rental amounts. Um, and I think it allows a lot of customers who are under some level of financial pressure to actually afford the installments. Um, so it has supported the market greatly um, and, and we don't expect those rates to move up quickly. So we don't expect them to surprise us by moving up three percentage points again next year and, and, and you know, put all of those customers underwater with the increasing installments. Um, so we don't expect it necessarily to be rapid in that nature. We expect this to be some sort of um, support level. But, but some interesting movements in the market, we're seeing application volumes at record highs. Um, we're seeing a lot of young, younger buyers First-time buyers being able to afford properties, um, but the top end of the market um, is still struggling. So, um, so anything sort of about three million, five million, those um, those properties are still facing a lot of um, a lot of headwinds, and, and the the amounts are are definitely coming down. And for the customers who can afford, from a business perspective, um, they can't just afford, but they can also afford larger bonds. So instead of putting down a deposit. Um, more customers are opting for 100% loan, which the banks are granting. Um, and um, they're also opting for slightly bigger loans. So, um, you know, in the past, if you could only afford a two-bedroom apartment, now perhaps you can go for a three-bedroom one. Um, so, um, so I think that has changed a lot in the way that, that we buy properties and the type of market that we're seeing. Um, so, so it was a fundamental shift um, in, in the types of customers and the types of property being bought. And I think that, you know, I, I'd go as far as to say that has increased the demand so much that, that um, I think it protects the value. So I don't think that we're going to see house price declines anytime soon. And I think even in some cases, you might actually see house prices increasing um, if there's a lot of buyers looking for certain types of properties, um, which also sort of gives me a lot of comfort that the residential property market um, is still a good investment. Um, I think um, from an investor perspective, though, um, you know, they, they are going through a tough time um, because just as much as our customers from a bank perspective has, um, has faced some headwinds, um, so do tenants, and, and they're also struggling to afford. So, so a lot of landlords are extending themselves a bit further to try and give, the, give a, a benefit or a discount back to their tenants. Um, but they do find themselves in a similar difficult situation um, as, as, as the banks. Um, so, so those types of movements, I guess, will still need to play out, um, but, but they are significant and, and there's, there's a lot of early data points available um, to show that there's, there's good activity, um, but the activity is definitely not the same as we, as we saw earlier this year or last year.
Yeah, about, uh, I'm going to squeeze in a quick question from one of our viewers before we wrap up and go to the first time home by show. Um, and this one is coming in from one of our YouTube videos. Um, who's a first time you know, buyer who asks, did APSA change or just that their qualifying criteria for new home loan? Um, this is for new home loan applications. So, so the short answer is yes. Um, we continuously adjust our criteria. Um, but, um, but I think that, you know, because we are a large institution with a, um, a responsibility towards the market, if properties can sell and customers can qualify for loans, that is good for us because that creates some level of demand. Um, now, now, we have adjusted our criteria, um, but we are still trying to grow our business because we believe in the residential property market. We believe in our customers. Um, and even though we change it, we sometimes move it down a bit, sometimes move it up. Um, but I can say quite confidently today that, um, that, that, that our approval rates are still very similar to what they were before lockdown. Our customers are still in good standing um, and, um, and we are very, very keen to, to um, receive an ap applications for first time buyers to help them buy, buy their properties and realize their dreams. Uh, Ewald, we are going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I think it's been quite an insightful um, to firstly just know that APSA is a partner with, uh, you know, its customers. You know, it's not just about uh, getting a customer and not walking the journey with the customer and understanding the uh, the local context and even the global context of where we're currently finding ourselves in, but being able to work with the customer in order for them to not just meet their, you know, financial needs, but certainly be able to be there with them uh, when they're facing these financial storms we find ourselves in. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Ewald. Thank you very much, Omar. And that is Ewald Kellerman, who is the Chief Risk Officer at APSA Home Loans. Of course, if you do want to reach out to APSA, we have shared their details down here below. Perhaps you're a customer or you're looking to get you know, your first home loan. We certainly have them every Wednesday. So when you have those questions, you know, those very burning questions that only a banking professional can, can answer because we get the answer straight from the horse's mouth, then do send them through. Well, it is a Wednesday. And of course, as most Wednesdays, it is now uh, going to be time for the first time home buyers show with SD Klassen, uh, who's going to be speaking to you know somebody that I know so many of us are going to learn so much uh, from. That it, that is Unomnebo Masuku, who's going to be talking about how she went from buying you know her first property to now owning you know forty student accommodation units. And I know that so many of us probably want to you know get uh, what lessons she learned from that first property and how she went and used those very same lessons to scale and grow her portfolio. So do stay tuned for that episode with SD Klassen of the Private Property uh, Podcast. I see you, Jumano. Thank you very much. And all the best on your property journey. Uh, that does, of course, bring us to an end of the Private Property Podcast with myself, Zamandungwa Kumalo. But we're still on your streets, so do stay tuned. Of course, SD will be taking over. But as usual, I hope that you're staying home, staying safe, especially as we're expecting the storm here in Gaudeng. And I'm going to hand over to SD, who will be joining you shortly for the first time, Home Buyers Show. Good evening.